Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to read here in just a moment. But as we look at Genesis 4, we're going to look at Genesis 4 and 5 tonight. I want to remind you of John 10, 10. I want to remind you of John 10, 10. And you don't have to flip there. You can if you want to. But I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to start, I'm going to talk about this just for a moment. And then we're going to go back to Genesis 4. We're going to go to Genesis 4. But John 10, 10, uh, we dealt with this verse a little bit last week, but John 10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Last week, we looked at the abundant life, and we looked at how that life, and I'm just looking, just give you highlights of last week. We talked about that word abundant means exceeding, means very highly, beyond measure, more. Uh, it, really, it gets down to eternal life, as we talked about this morning. We looked last week that that, that eternal life or abundant life is not, is not material abundance, but spiritual abundance. We saw that eternal life or abundance life is not determined by the length of our days, but it has got to do with our relationship with God during those days, however short our life may be as we serve the Lord and we live for the Lord. And then we saw that a Christian's life should be revolved around growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, we saw last week that a Christian's life or the abundant life, the eternal life does not prohibit us from problems or doesn't prohibit us from troubles and those things will still come. But that first part of John 10, 10 says the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. We find that there is an enemy. There's an enemy, there's a thief, there is a, someone that is against the Lord and against his people and he will do everything in his power to steal, to kill and to destroy. And I want to look tonight at maybe that, that idea of the, the life that the devil will sell you versus the life that God wants to give you. And sometimes we think about the devil stealing, killing, and destroying, and we think about a miserable life here on earth. We think about, well, if I serve God, I'll be comfortable. I serve God, I'll have enough money in the bank, I'll have uh, health and wealth and maybe not prosperity so to speak, but I'll have a whole lot of comfort in my life and nothing will get out of, out of sorts for me and everything will be fine. But if I don't, no, then that's when the devil comes and uh, takes my life and he will ruin my life. And you know what, the devil will ruin your life, but sometimes a ruined life looks different than what we think of. I want to look at that tonight. And I want to use Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 to do that. Genesis 4. Y'all know the story of Genesis 4, don't you? We're going to read some verses. We're going to read several verses here in just a minute. But, but y'all know Genesis 4, don't you? What's happening? Genesis 4, we find two brothers. I personally believe they're twins. The Bible says that they, uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, verse 1, and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. There seems like there's one conception there, two births. It seems like there's, and so, so I, I don't know whether they're twins or not, but I believe they are. I'll say this, they're the closest brothers there ever have been. You know, your children are a mixture of different genes coming down the line, Right? 
You can look at your child and you, if you have multiple children, you can look at your child and you might see uh, somebody in your family that maybe you might say in the husband's family and say, oh, well, he, don't he remind you of so-and-so? Or doesn't she remind you of so-and-so from the husband's side? Or maybe from the, the mother's side, you'll say, well, they remind me, that reminds me of this or it reminds me of that. And there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of mixture in all of us and our genetic makeup and, and, it just, and, and our children are so different different. Not, that's not so with Cain and Abel. There's no granddaddy and grandmama on either side. There's no aunt and uncles to compare them to. Uh, there's no family member to say, man, they look, Adam and, I mean, uh, Cain and Abel looks like so-and-so. They got mom and daddy. That's it. There is no mixture of the gene pool. So there's no closer brothers than, than Adam, and, I mean, than uh, Cain and Abel. And y'all know the story Abel gives a blood sacrifice on the altar. Gives us the idea that God obviously established that. We know he established it in Genesis 3 when he, slay, when he killed the animal to make the coats of skin to cover Adam and Eve. But it just gives us the idea when we go to chapter 4 that God must have established something and made it clear to come to him and sacrifice to him. It, it requires some blood. Now we know past that he does establish that. That there's life in the blood and there's no remission of sin without the blood. And uh, we know after Genesis 4 he, he establishes that. But obviously in between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, Abel knew that. And Cain knew it too. But Cain didn't bring a blood sacrifice. Cain brought some fruit and vegetable sacrifices. And well, I'm telling you that's exactly what we're seeing the hour that we live in is a bunch of fruity worship going on. Amen. I thought about preaching on fruit, fruit loop worship services. Amen. <laughs> That's what we've got. We've got a bunch of skinny jean wearing, v-neck, tight shirt wearing, flip-flop, Bermuda short wearing dudes up here with their little coffee tables and their little, their little, uh, little sermonettes and their little motivational speeches with a, bit of a bunch of sodomites on the platform beating a bunch of drums and a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of sodomites dancing with flags and yoga pants on and, and a bunch of fruity. I'll probably get flagged. I forgot we're live streaming. Hallelujah. Amen. Probably get flagged to be on badpreachers.com tomorrow. Hey, but listen, we've got a bunch of fruity worship that goes on the hour we're living in. That's not what I'm preaching on tonight. I could. I could preach about an hour on it. But Cain brings in some fruits and vegetables. And listen, you can't get blood from a turnip. Amen. And God says, I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting that. And instead of Cain getting right with God, Cain gets mad. And his anger turns from being angry at God because God don't accept my sacrifice and God won't accept me. God won't accept my works. God won't accept what I have done for him. What I have brought him. I, I have a, no doubt that Cain probably brought the biggest head of lettuce he'd ever grown. I have no doubts that Cain brought the, the greatest batch of fruit and vegetables that he'd ever seen. But that's not what God requires. And, and so, so instead of Cain getting right with God... Cain gets mad at God, and God visits Cain. Thank God for grace. He comes and visits Cain, and he says, hey, there's sin lying at the door. And basically, God says, Cain, if you'll get right, if you'll get right, I'll accept you. 
I believe this. When he said sin lies at the door, I believe, I believe God was telling Cain, there is a sin offering right outside your window, right outside your door. If you'll walk out there, take that animal, get the blood on the altar, I will accept that blood, but I'm not accepting the works of your hands. But he said, if you don't do well, Cain, it's going to be worse than what you thought. And I just believe this. I don't believe Cain ever thought about killing his brother until right then when he rejected God's offering of salvation. And that's a whole other message for another day. Cain walks out of his tent that day or wherever he lived that day and he rejects God's offer of salvation and he walks to his brother and now his anger for, for, towards God is now turned against his brother because now, oh, goody to shoes, Abel. Oh, Abel brought the right sacrifice. God accepts Abel because of the blood. Abel, Abel brought blood and so God likes him better than he likes me and so, so I'll, my anger towards God is now anger towards Abel and all of a sudden they're out in the field. We don't know the conversation. We don't know all the, the details around it but all of a sudden Cain kills his own brother. It's the first murder in our Bible. And God knows what's going on. God calls Cain out about what's going on. The Bible says that Cain was judged by God. He was cursed from the earth. The Bible says in verse number 16 in chapter 4. Notice this. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord. And you know, we don't ever read about him coming back. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Now, we would say, if somebody walks away from the presence of God, we'd say, man, it's about to get ugly in their life. What? They're going to go broke. They're going to they starve to death. They gonna, they gonna, I mean, their life is going to be a wreck because the, the enemy, the thief, he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And you walk away from the presence of God, this, all this outward stuff is going to fall apart in your life. Let's see if that's what happens with Cain. Verse number 17. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bare Enoch. Now, this is not Enoch of chapter 5. We'll talk about him in a moment later on. And he built, and look, and he bare Enoch, and he, Cain, builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So, so when Cain leaves, when Cain leaves the presence of the Lord, he goes right out and builds a city. Can you see it now? Cain, Cain, welcome to Cain County. And in Cain County, you've got the city of Enoch. And all over the city is Cain's footprint. The big towers, the skyscrapers, the commercial buildings, the, 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 the community center, everything is Cain's. It's Cain. He has built a city right after leaving the presence of the Lord. Don't look too bad yet for Cain. I'm talking about on the outside. Now, it goes on, and Enoch has a son, and he has a son, and he has a son, and we go on a couple generations down, verse number 19. There's another son we find out about in the line of Cain. It says, and Lamech took unto him two wives. Now, I thought that's crazy and uh, to have two wives. 
and my mother-in-law's here, but I thought two wives means two mother-in-laws. Amen? I'm just kidding. Thank God for my mother-in-law. Thank God for them coming and help us today. It's a blessing. But two wives. I thank God for my wife. But I tell you what, if she croaks before I do, I ain't getting another. Amen? <laughs> They're a handful. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Two wives. Now, wait a minute. All jokes aside, Lamech gets two wives. Now, it looks real good on the outside, don't it? He's got two women. He's got, he, man, he's a ladies' man. I mean, these boys, these boys trying to always ask for these girls' numbers, see, you know, and they, 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 they want to figure out how they can follow them on Tiki Talk and all that other stuff and, and trying to, and, and how many girlfriends you got and all that kind of stuff. Layman says, I got two wives. I, it looks good on me. He, walking, he walks to the city ball with two ladies on his side. It looks real good on the outside. But the Bible clearly tells us in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, Jesus told the Pharisees that God established marriage way back in the garden. Now, now no, Moses hadn't wrote any laws yet about marriage, but, God said, but Jesus said God established this thing way back in the garden that it was for one man and one woman for one life. So we are a few generations away from the garden, and guess what they know? They know God's plan for marriage. They know how it's supposed to be, but Lamech, it looks like God, Lamech don't care what God said about it. Boy, don't we live in a generation like that today. Amen. We can holler about the LGBT crowd, but what about this wife swapping, husband swapping? Amen. It's supposed to leave them today, leave them tomorrow. It's, it's, I mean, this cheap, this cheap get out of marriage free car kind of stuff. I'm telling you for you, we are living in a broken society. But it didn't start now. It didn't start 50 years ago. It's uh, way back now. Layman said, I'm going to have two wives. And watch this, though. In the world's eyes, that ain't nothing wrong with that. Looks pretty good. I mean, man, he's got enough money to support two wives and support two families. And I mean, I mean, them, that crowd out in Utah's doing it. I mean, they, sister wives and all that kind of crazy stuff. On the world's eye, it don't look that bad. Verse 20. One of his wives named Ada has a son named Jabel. And Jabal, watch this, was the father of such as dwell in tents and such as have cattle. You know what I wrote down about Jabal? He's the first cowboy in the Bible. Now, I don't know, I, I'm not a cowboy, never going to be a cowboy, I don't guess. I don't like cowboy boots, I don't like cowboy hats. I don't really even care about cowboy movies necessarily, but cowboys are pretty cool. I mean, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. And, and I mean, cowboys are pretty cool characters. I remember when my cousin told me he was going to start being a cowboy and a bull rider. I mean, I thought that's pretty cool. I mean, the cowboys, I guess, are cool. And so cowboy, and watch this, cowboys, I can't find really anything wrong with being a cowboy. This man's a cowboy. So we got city builders, we've got womanizers, and we got cowboys. All in the line of Cain after he leaves the presence of God. Well, Jabal has a brother named Jubal. And Jubal was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. He's a musician. He's a, he's got, he, he can play the harp, he can play the organ, he, he probably can sing. And he says, it's all those that handle it. You know, there's a difference in just kind of picking at something and, and handling it, right? Somebody said, can you play the guitar? Well, I can strum at it, but I know some people that can handle the guitar, right? 
I can, I can pick out some things on that piano. I can chord out a few things. Like that. Brother Tim can handle that piano, right? And so Jubal is a musician. Jubal is a musician. All of this is after Cain leaves the presence of the Lord. I'm painting a picture here. I hope you're seeing where we're going. And if you don't, we'll be there in just a moment. Verse 22. And Zella, that is the other wife of Lamech, he, she has a son named Tubal-Cain. And he is an instructor of every artificer in bright brass and iron. So he's a metal worker, and he's not just a metal worker, he's the metal shop teacher. So Cain leaves the presence of God. He immediately goes and builds a city. I imagine inside that city, generations down the road, We've got the, the justice of the peace who will let men marry more than one wife if they want to. And then we have a, a, a pasture out there where the cowboys are riding their horses and they're living in tents and they're, they're rustling up the cattle. And then we've got a, a jubil over there and he's teaching folks how to sing and play and he's having shows every night and you can pack out an auditorium to hear old jubil do his thing and handle the harp and the organ and then you got Tubal Cain and he's the metal worker and he's a welder and he's a man he can make anything you want. You dream it up and we'll make it, buddy. We've got it together. Hey, listen, everything on the outside looks good for Cain's descendants, don't it? The only thing I can find bad in the whole story is Lamech having two wives. And the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anybody even said anything to Lamech about it. Nobody even rebuked Lamech about it. Nobody reminded Lamech about what God had established in the garden with his grandparents, Adam and Eve. It looks like everything is going well for Cain's crowd. But there's something missing. We're going to look at that. In verse number 25, after we see in the rest of chapter 4, after we see this, this, just, this things happening with Cain's life, Cain's descendants, I should say. In verse 25 it says this, I mean, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel who Cain, whom Cain slew. So Adam and Eve have another son named Seth and he is the substitute for Abel. But look what the Bible says in verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call. Upon the name of the Lord. It's the first mention of this phrase in our Bible to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want you to look at what happens after that. We have seen what happens when, when Cain leaves the presence of God. We see what happens with his family. And in reality, it don't look that bad in the world's eye. May I say, it don't look that bad in the American Christian's eyes. But let's look what happens after men begin to call upon the Lord. Look at, verse, look at verse number 3 and verse number 5. It starts off like this. Verse 3, And Adam lived 
130 years. We got a son in his own likeness after his image, called his name Seth. Look at verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Look in verse number 6. The Bible says, And Seth lived 105 years and begot Enos, and Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters. Look in verse number 9. And Enos lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And Enos lived after he begot Canaan 815 years and begot sons and daughters. Look in verse number 12. And Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahaliel 840 years and begot sons and daughters. Look at verse number 15. And Mahaliel lived six. Sixty and five years and begot Jared. And Mahaliel lived after he begot Jared 830 years and begot sons and daughters. Look in verse number 18. And Jared lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters. And look in verse number 21. Now look at this. And Enoch lived 60 and, 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah. 300 years. Begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365, 60 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God. He was not, for God took him. Look at verse 25. And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begot Lamech. Verse 26. And Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 780 and 2 years. And begot sons and daughters. Look at verse 28. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begot a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And verse 30. And Lamech lived after he begot Noah 590 and five years and begot sons Now, you know the story in verse number six, but I want you to look in, I mean, sorry, verse number six, chapter number six. The Bible says in chapter number six, verse number three, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with men for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. Look at verse number five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Verse six, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and and beasts and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But, but Noah, the son of Lamech, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. As I read chapter number four and chapter number five a couple weeks ago and, and even this week even again just looking over this, I saw as Cain leaves the presence of God, they build cities, they play music, they're a bunch of cowboys and they're a bunch of metal workers and uh, obviously they don't care about God's marriage and that's the only negative I can find about all that. But everything looks okay with Cain's crowd. But chapter five there is a stark difference in the way God describes Seth's crowd. Did y'all catch what happened in those verses? What Adam do? He lived. What Seth do? 
He lived. What Enos do? He lived. What Canaan do? He lived. What Mahaliel do? He lived. And on and on and on. We find he lived, he lived, he lived, he lived, he lived. You know that is never mentioned about Cain's crowd. You can go back and check chapter 4. You're not going to find any of those men where it says they lived. Built cities, played music, was cowboys, metal workers, married wives. According to the Bible, they didn't live. Now, before you go off thinking I'm crazy or confirming that I'm crazy, however you want to put that, you've got to think, preacher, come on now. If they were building cities, uh, they lived. If they were marrying wives, they obviously lived. You, I mean, dead people don't do that kind of stuff, preacher. Maybe you're right physically. Physically, they obviously lived. They breathed and they had blood running through their veins and all that kind of stuff. But God says they really didn't live. You know what the difference in these two lines are? Now, before I go any further, let me just go ahead and say this. Every individual in Cain's line and every individual in Seth's line had an individual responsibility to obey God. Just because they were in the line of Cain don't make them wicked. And just because they're in the line of Seth doesn't make them holy or righteous. That would be Calvinistic, okay? That would not line up with the rest of the principles of the Bible. So just because they were in the line of Cain or line of Seth doesn't choose their fate. But I'm just observing what I've read in the Bible. You know what I think the devil uses a lot of times to steal, kill, and destroy? City building. Cowboys or cattle, music, metal, and marriage. You say, what? You know what he'll get you wrapped up in doing? He'll get you wrapped up in a career. He'll get you wrapped up in building you a little empire for yourself. He'll get you wrapped up in building a bunch of stuff. And watch this. Cain, you know, he builds the city and he names it after his son. I'm sure he left it as an inheritance for his son. And I can't really find anything wrong with that, but I, God, God didn't say Cain even lived. See, we, we think living is having a big something, big inheritance to give to our children and grandchildren. We think living is having a lot of stuff, and that would be the cattle. That would be the cowboy. He's got a lot of substance. You know, that's the way you showed how rich you were back in those days. Cattle and crops is how you showed off your bank account. So having a lot of stuff is what living's all about. Or maybe this, or just having a lot of musical ability. And I would say with that musical ability, just like it is today, they would have popularity and be famous because they could sing or play or something like that. Popularity and everybody liking and everybody following me and everybody doing what I do and all this, being a trendsetter and all that. That's what really living is. Or maybe just being a hard worker like a metal worker and teaching other people how to do a trade and a skill. That's really living. But God never says these men live. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that you ought not work. A man that won't work ought not eat, right? That's Bible. And a man ought to provide. And a man has got to find skills that he can provide, use those skills to provide for his family. I've been reminded a lot lately 
about the, and I've been, I told y'all I've been, I've been studying for several months on my, on my personal life about stewarding my life, making, making sure I'm using, I'm using my life for what God has purposed for me and, and, and make sure I'm stewarding this life he's letting me borrow for a little while. One thing I've been reminded in that study and in that just deep dive into my own personal life is this, that one day all the hours of overtime and all the, the savings in the account and all that, nobody's going to remember all of that but my children, my family, and, and this church is going to remember what I don't do for the Lord. They're going to remember the time that I don't spend serving the Lord. And I don't mean just in what I'm doing right this minute. I don't mean what I'm going to be doing all this week preaching. I mean really walking with the Lord. I mean really living for the Lord. And we see some men in chapter number 5 who really live for the Lord. And it all starts with this. The first thing is they began to call upon the name of the Lord. It begins with their salvation. Really living begins with being saved. Really living and having a life is it begins at salvation. It begins with calling upon the name of the Lord. But then we see this in verse 21 through 24. We find a man named Enoch and really living goes on from salvation to walking with the Lord. I looked up what does that word walk mean and I know that sounds really ignorant and I should know what walk means. But it means this, to go with the Lord. It means to come with the Lord. It means to move with the Lord. It means to proceed with the Lord. And I'm reminded of Amos chapter 3, verse number 3. It said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? The only way Enoch's walking with the Lord is that he agrees with the Lord. He's taking a yes, Lord, that I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm going to do whatever you do. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And we, we see this with Enoch's life, and it goes on from living just being saved to walking with the Lord every single day and throughout the day. See, really living is not living. Uh, you're not really living unless you are having a constant fellowship with the Lord. Walking is a step by step by step thing. And the Bible tells us Enoch for 300 years walked with the Lord. And just imagine he got up in the morning and said, All right, Lord, I'm not taking a step until you tell me where to go. I'm not proceeding. I'm not going anywhere until you tell me where to go. The Bible says eventually they were walking. With, they were walking to a point. The Bible says eventually uh, in verse number five or verse number uh, twenty-four, and, and it walked with God, and He was not for God took him. One old writer said that what happened was that day they got to walking, and evening was setting. And Enoch said, "Well, God, it's been a good day walking with you, but I guess it's time for me to go on home." God said, well, it looks like we're closer to my house than we are yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? Amen. That sounds pretty good. And it was not. God took him. It's the only man outside of Elijah that did not die in our Bible. You know what? Enoch lived. Because he was saved. He called upon the Lord. Enoch lived because he walked with the Lord. But then it goes on. And Noah, Noah, the Bible says Noah we don't see the words Noah lived like we did in that other list after Lamech has Noah. It goes on to chapter number 6. But the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Noah is in the midst of a perverse generation. I mean, we, we think we got it bad. Y'all know, you know, like, well, it ain't never been this bad before. Well, uh, the Bible said, this is what God said. God said the wickedness of man was great in the earth in verse 5 of chapter 6 and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil content. Listen, God's not exaggerating the story here. We do that, don't we? I'll have somebody say, you know, everybody's saying, well, who all said it? I'm like three people. I'm like, well, three out of 50 ain't everybody. But we exaggerate, don't we? We exaggerate the stories. God's not exaggerating the story here. When he says every imagination and thought of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, that's truth. That's honesty. That is, that is really the world Noah was living in. That's really what was going on in Noah's day. And in the midst of that perverse generation, in the midst of that crowd, watch this, who had a bunch of cities, who had families, who probably had cattle, and music, and metal workers, had all the stuff on the outside, it looked like everything was fine. There was perverseness, and wickedness, and evil, continually to the point God says, I'm going to destroy all of mankind off the face of the earth. Verse number 8 says, but, but Noah found grace. In the eyes of the That's the first mention of the word grace in our Bible. That word grace means favor, means acceptance. It means a pleasant, a pleasantry. God looks down at Noah, a man who had been living. And I don't know if Noah had ever built anything before here. But God finds grace in the eyes of Noah, or Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. The Bible goes on to say in verse 9, Noah was a just man. I looked up that word just. It means a lawful man, a righteous man, a correct man. He was a righteous man in an unrighteous generation. Let me just say, you can live right in a wrong generation. You can be correct in a world that's wrong. You can live lawfully when, when everybody else is not living lawfully. You don't have to go with the crowd. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And Noah proves that he, he was a just man. Then it says he was, uh, the Bible says he was perfect in his generations. The word perfect is complete, whole, sound, upright, without spot, sincerely. What that word perfect means? It means full. You know what the thief's coming to do? He's coming to steal. He's coming to kill. He's coming to destroy. But I don't know that it looks like what we think it looks like a lot of times. Because I'm telling you, that crowd today, who sold their soul to Satan for the music world or the athletic world or whatever other world you want to look at. They got more money than I do. They do. They got way more money than I do. They got a whole lot more popularity and fame than I do too. They got a lot more stuff than I do. Their cars are nicer than mine. Their houses are nicer than mine. 
And if they've got a medical emergency, who cares if they have insurance? They got enough money to pay. Matter of fact, they don't have to wait at the ER for a doctor. They can just call one up and a doctor's going to specially take care of them. Looks like they got it all. It looks like they've got it better than we do. And they might. In the world's eyes. But they're not living. But they're not living. You know what they're doing? They're dying. That's all Cain's crowd did was die, die. They built cities, but they died. They got married, but they died. They, had, they were cowboys, but they died. They were musicians, but they died. They were metal workers, but they died. But Seth's crowd, that crowd that called upon the name of the Lord, they lived, they lived, they lived. And, and at the end of this thing, I don't know it ain't the very end because Noah has some children and all that kind of stuff too. Thank God he keeps going on. But the Bible says he lived a, the last thing said about you know Noah was he was a perfect in his generation as far as before it goes on to what happens there. Perfect, and it means full. You know what the contrasting of the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy is? Jesus said, I am come. That they might have life. <laughs> and watch this. And they might, that they might have it more abundantly. You know what he says? Can I say it like this? He wants to give you full life. God wants to give you a full life. May not have a bunch of money in the bank. Your health may fall apart. You may not ever build a city. Nobody may ever know your name. You may not have anything else go in this world right for you. But if you live, that's all that matters. See, the devil can't give life to you. That's all he can do. All he can do is take it. All he can do is destroy and kill and steal. That's all he can do, and that's what he's doing. And the Bible says that's all he's doing. That's all he's doing. He's not, he, the thief cometh not but for. That's all he comes to do. You know what I, I want in my life? I don't want to let him steal, kill, and destroy my life and, 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 and it look good on the outside. I get what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want him to steal, kill, and destroy me. And there's some, I know, we can see the paper. We can see the, the, the now, nobody look at the paper. But we can go to the Gordon County 411 and look who's been arrested this week. And we can say, look at there, the devil's stealing, killing, and destroying. But watch this, we can go to the corporate offices this week and see some people that it looks like they've got everything. There we are, the devil's stealing, killing, and destroying. We can go to the church pew today. People look like they got it all together. But the devil's stealing. He's killing. Destroying. So my question tonight for me, for you, is how are you going to live? First of all, are you saved? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Sunday night, Many of the crowd here may have done that. If you haven't, today would be a day of salvation just as much as we preach the gospel this morning. It's still true tonight. But if you've done that, have you gone any further? Are you walking with the Lord? I mean, are you fellowshipping with him? Are you getting in your Bible? And what's your excuse of not getting in your Bible? If you can read and you don't read your Bible, 
I don't care. I'm talking about the youngest person in here that can read. If you don't read your Bible, you're not really living. And don't tell me you don't like reading. You scroll and read a bunch of stuff. Maybe if they did video, maybe if they reels of the Bible, some of y'all would be interested. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You'd want to see something stupid again on, on reels, videos and stuff. You can read. You ought to read your Bible. So why it sounds so simple? Yeah, sounds it, but why don't we do it then? You have fellowship with the Lord? Do you pray? You got a prayer life? I'm going to tell you what, the devil will steal from you by keeping you busy with good things as long as you stay out of that book and stay out of the prayer closet. I'm telling you, friend, I'm telling you, I can do everything else in the world. As soon as I open that Bible, boom, I get distracted. Man, I could zero in and focus in on something. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm locked in on something else. And I'm working on all good stuff. Boom, 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 boom. And there's no distractions. But as soon as I open that blessed old book, maybe somebody distracts me. Maybe just my mind starts thinking about all the other stuff I still need to do. Hadn't thought about it. Some things I hadn't thought about in two weeks. And all of a sudden, I open that Bible. Boom, I just remembered it. Get down on my knees and say, oh, Heavenly Father, I want to come talk to you for a little while. And then, boom, I'm distracted. Hadn't been distracted all day with nothing. Until I get that Bible out. Until I get in my prayer closet. And what I'm saying is the devil's going to steal. He's going to steal from him. He's going to steal from him doing some good things. Christ's coming. He wants to make, give you life and he wants to give it to you more abundantly. So tonight I want to challenge, are you walking with the Lord? Are you called upon the Lord? Have you walked with the Lord? And then I want to ask you this, are you a just person? Are you a, are you a person that lives right? Are you a person that lives right? We can put all the lame excuses aside. Are we lawful in our living? Do we live correctly? Do we live right? And then, are you perfect? Before you say, oh, no, nobody can be perfect. Noah was. Job was. And I didn't ask you if you were sinless. I didn't ask you if you'd never messed up. Perfect, full, complete. Are you? I'm not yet. But I want to be. And I don't know that we'll ever get there until we get home, until we get to glory, that we'll ever be complete or full. I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to strive for perfection. I want to strive for completion. I want to strive to have a full life. They lived. They lived. Are you living tonight? Do you, are you really living tonight? I mean, do you, I'm just, and this is, oh, it's been, I may have been scattered or whatever, maybe just devotional thoughts tonight. I don't know. This is on my heart, and it's been, God's been speaking to me about this. Am I really living in 2024, we're on the second Sunday. We're about to start the third week of, of, the, of the year. I, I showed them in Sunday school the rock. I told y'all about that. We, we're taking them rocks and we're putting them in the trash can. And two are gone. Two weeks are gone. You ain't doing nothing about it. You can't get it back. There are 50 weeks left. 50 weeks left. 50. Already. You can't do nothing about the two that's gone. What are you going to do about the next ones? What are you going to do about tonight? What are you going to do about tomorrow? 
I think we ought to examine ourselves, all of us. Examine ourselves, are we really living? Are we really living? Or are we caught up with the, the traps of this world as Cain's family was? Are we caught up with the traps of Satan? Is he stealing our time? Is he stealing our joy? Is he stealing our peace? Is he killing us where we're not even living? Is he destroying our lives? And we don't even realize it. We called upon the name of the Lord. We know that you're saved tonight. You walking with the Lord? Are you just? Are you striving for completion? Playing is thy heart right with God. That's something we ought to think about tonight. Is our heart right with God?